Hello, welcome to the Primordial Soup Pot. I'm Aaron Johnson. I'm with my co-host here. I'm Rustin Perret. Each of us is excited to bring you our chosen anecdote from the godforsaken or God-blessed cookbook of ecology, evolution, and natural history. But we are more excited that you have chosen to listen. Though we host this podcast, each of us is in the same boat as our audience because neither of us knows what story the other host will tell. And this week, we are focusing on symbiosis. I can't wait. I'm really excited. Let's do this. How did you find the research for this one, Rustin? So honestly, I had a tough time thinking of or like thinking of something really, really cool to, to research. So I just kind of spent a lot of time just browsing the web, looking for cool examples of symbiosis until I eventually found my topic. And then once I found it, it was pretty straightforward. And I found I think I found something really cool. So I'm really excited to talk about it. But uh, I went first last week, so I think you're up first. Yes, I am. So my topic is a very, it's a general one. I think a lot of biologists will know it, but there's a really deep iceberg to it. Like once you go deeper, it gets more bizarre and abstract. Do a lot of biologists know about the deeper, more abstract part of it? or? Well, let's find out. Today, I'm going to be talking about the parasitoid wasps. Oh, okay. Yeah. You told me before we started recording that uh, I wouldn't be surprised by what you picked. Yeah, it's a known topic. I think a lot of people know of it, but there's a lot to it. it also, that also ties in pretty well with my topic, but we'll get to that later. Oh, perfect. Oh, we should establish that symbiosis is kind of an umbrella term, and that can cover many different relationships between organisms. So you'll have mutualism, where both species benefit. So let's say a bee pollinates a flower. You have commensalism, where one benefits, but the other isn't really affected one way or another. And you can think of like a bird building a nest in a tree. I don't think the tree cares one way or another. Not usually, no. Not usually. And then there's parasitism, where one benefits and the other is hurt. And this is definitely the coolest. There's so many different bizarre takes on this concept. I wouldn't say it's definitely the coolest, because there are some really cool mutualisms out there. And also, the mutualisms just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, you know? The parasites don't bring that. No, they don't. No, they make you feel like your insides are crawling with worms, which... <laughs> that's not very fun. They make you want to go research more mutualisms, is what they <laughs> yeah, make you want to do. Yeah, that's what they do. So, it's so successful that it's evolved independently countless times. Ticks, fleas, leeches tapeworms, athlete's foot, mistletoe, lampreys, botflies, mosquitoes, the list goes on and on. Parasites are so diverse that most animals can have at least one species that is exclusive to them. So let's say I have a single deer here. It could have a vast variety of parasites that are only found on deer. Or going even more specific, that single species of deer could have a single species of parasite only found on that deer. There's a lot of parasites out there. Wow, that, that's honestly crazy to think about. Well, I mean, why would you want to do anything when you can just mooch off someone else's success? That's a life goal right there. <laughs> From an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense. And it can be broadened even more if we include situational parasites. So brood parasites. What, what makes a parasite situational? Uh, you know, we wouldn't consider it a parasite in the sense that, like, it's a tick. It's not directly feeding off the host, but it is 
doing something to them, like kleptoparasites that are animals that will steal the food of other animals. Uh, okay. So okay. that's what I call a situational parasite. So it's only a parasite in certain at certain points in its life cycle. If you really broaden the definition of parasites, then it counts as one. But it's not it's not sucking blood or something like that. Okay. So like a bald eagle stealing a fish from an osprey would be considered a situational parasite. Yeah, that's technically a kleptoparasite. They're stealing the food from the other one. Interesting. Okay. Gotcha. Now, despite all these diverse species of blood-sucking beasts, most of them seem to follow one rule, and it's taken straight from the Dark Knight himself. Some men just want to watch the world burn? I don't know. No, no killing. Oh, okay. Unless it's Ben Affleck. I feel like we don't talk much about Ben Affleck. The man's made like five good movies in his career, and I will stand by that statement. So, if you're a parasite, you don't want to kill your cash cow. Right? That's where you're getting your food from. If you just straight up killed it within like a day, then you have to find a new host. So you want to avoid killing your host. If you just killed it, there's no food. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. A lot of species will actually secrete painkillers so their hosts aren't aware they exist. The goal is to mooch but be as inconspicuous as possible. You don't want to be discovered. Right, right, yay. You don't want to buy a new car and then immediately drive it into a tree. Is that parasitism? No, but that's like you've just you just like found this new vehicle for your success, and then you immediately fuck it up by like you know killing it. I was thinking like if you find a nice crawl space to live in, you don't want to like come out and start killing the family that lives there. Probably just lay low. I mean, maybe you do to expand your crawl space. <laughs> I guess you do expand the crawl space, and then you're truly embracing the parasitism. So. There is one group that have broken off this unspoken rule of never killing. And they do quite the opposite to their hosts. They kill them all the time. These are the lovable and iconic parasitoid wasps. Gotcha. So there is a difference between parasitoid and parasite. Parasitoid is a type of parasitism, but generally the host is almost always killed. Okay. So there are types of parasitoids. So there are parasitoids which don't kill their host then if it's almost always uh i think maybe by some chance they survive okay that's why i say almost always i guarantee there's an exception somewhere but think of these guys as the movie alien uh in general they find their host insect lay their eggs usually on or inside the insect and the larvae eat the host from the inside out and pop out chestburster style that's fantastic that's the sum it up in a nutshell uh, Charles Darwin once said himself, I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designingly created the Ichneumonidae, a family of parasitoid wasps, with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars. Essentially, huh. these made Charles Darwin doubt God. <laughs> this is what broke him. Of anything else Darwin ever saw, it was parasitoid wasps, not Poverty, war, murder. Nope, parasitoid wasps. That's what made him question it all. And there's a huge variety of these, but thankfully none are known to target humans, rest assured. Yet. So, yet. If you live on the East Coast, you may be familiar with the cicada killer. It is a very large wasp that will sting and abduct cicadas, drag them into its burrow, 
paralyze it and lay its eggs in the uh, cicada. And then larva hatch out, Akuna Matata. Cycle continues. Now, no, wait, 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 wait. I, I feel like Hakuna Matata does not apply to all parties in that situation. Oh, no, the cicada killer is having a great time. Right, but for the cicada, the you know, cicada I've, got all kinds of worries. I meant to say circle of life. Okay. <laughs> I did not mean to say Wrong Lion King life. reference. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I messed up there. <laughs> the cicada's not sitting around with a bunch of like wasp babies popping out of its chest going, eh, no worries, man. <laughs> no. Do you remember the murder hornets back in 2020? I feel like they still exist. They weren't a, they weren't limited to 2020, but yeah. Okay, so they took over the news. And when I was on Facebook that year, all I would see is a dead cicada killer. And so I'm posting, help, is this one of them murder hornets? <laughs> nice. nice. That whole how... thing was blown out of portion, by the way. They're only found in the most northern tip of Washington state. Yeah, I love how the murder hornets were so scary that they took over the news cycle from COVID. People literally just, the news needed to scare more people. And they're like, murder hornets, that's what we're rolling with. Right, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. You can't even go to the fucking grocery store without a mask on your face. But no, we need people to be more scared. Honestly, I probably saw more posts about the cicada killers and the murder hornets than I did about COVID. Well, that makes sense for your feed because yeah. your <laughs> yeah, your Facebook feed, your Facebook and Instagram feed are not exactly most people's social media feed, my guy. Oh, actually, during this, uh, I worked at a park on yeah the summer of 2020, and it was pretty dry that year, so the beach was much further out as the lake receded, and there's a lot of cicada killers that would make their burrows there, and they're pretty chill. But if you throw a towel on it or set your chair on top of the burrow, they're going to come out and sting you. How often did that happen? Maybe two or three times. I guess it hurt pretty bad. I remember I was working in the office and a lady came up and said, hey, do you have an EpiPen? And I'm like, no. Are, are you all right? She's like, yeah, I got stung by a wasp. And I said, no, are you allergic? And she went, well, I don't know. I've never been stung before. <laughs> <laughs> She just, needed, she just needed the epinephrine just in case. Of course I didn't have it. I didn't even have an ice pack in there. <laughs> so uh, I call the lifeguard and because they have some like medical training. And they said, are you having difficulty breathing? Anything like that? She said, well, it really hurts. <laughs> in the end, I think they got her some gauze to wrap her hand up and she just went home. <laughs> I don't know what else I could have done for her. I, lo I love how this lady walks in with a wasp sting and you're like, um, no, I, I can't deal with that. Could you come back when you have a paper cut? I mean, we also got people calling and asking if they're jellyfish in the lake. <laughs> oh, my God. And a one-star review because someone saw a snake in the water. <laughs> so customer service burns you out. It really does. I remember... My sister used to volunteer at the Baltimore Aquarium and she would lead tour groups around, you know, to all the exhibits. Mm -hmm. And so at one point she was like showing this like crocodile, I think it was a crocodile skull to this group. And um, like, she's talking all about like, you know, the crocodile's life cycle and all this other stuff and like what they eat and like how like their teeth help them catch food and stuff. And um, 
at the end of when you know at the end of her presentation she asks if there are any questions this person raises their hand and just with a complete straight face goes wait is it alive like pointing at the skull <laughs> no <laughs> she should have said yes and started moving around like that. <laughs> yeah man customer service has got to be fun that's honestly why, like, whenever I'm on the phone with um, with customer service, even from, like, a, a company with objectively terrible customer service, like AT&T or Comcast, I try to give them a little bit of slack because I know that customer service can just be really, really annoying sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of annoying, another great example of parasitoid wasps is the tarantula hawk. You'll find these guys out west in the United States, and they are these giant flying stingy thingies that'll target tarantulas as the host for their young. That should have been the headline for all the murder hornet articles. Giant flying stingy thingies. <laughs> and like the cicada killer, they'll take on a whole tarantula, which is usually much bigger than them, even though these are big wasps. And they'll drag them away again to a burrow, and the young will develop inside and pop out when they're ready. And they have one of the most painful stings in the animal kingdom, but they're non-lethal. I don't think any of the parasitoid wasps are really lethal in their stings. Some of them just hurt pretty bad. At least to humans. Oh, yeah, to humans. It really okay. sucks for the tarantula. Okay, yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> the tarantula is it's probably pretty lethal to the tarantula. They're probably not having a good time. And there's plenty of other cool examples, and they target a lot of different things. Emerald cockroach wasps will sting the host's nervous system. And they'll kind of zombify it. So their sting kind of puts the cockroach in a state of, like, just does whatever, no panic response. And they'll grab its antenna and just escort it all the way back to the burrow, and the cockroach will just walk along with it. Some spider wasps will make tiny mud chambers, and they'll lock their hosts inside. I've seen a couple pictures where people see this little mud structure on the side of their house, and they knock it open, and a bunch of little dead spiders pour out. And I nice. don't think they like that very much. Probably not. And lastly, some species even modify the host's nervous system to make them extremely aggressive. I've seen some where they'll take caterpillars, they'll sting them, and the caterpillars will be put in, like, an attack mode. And they'll actually defend the eggs laid on their back from pet predators. Wow. And they will fend them off until they inevitably wither away and die. Okay, gotcha. The diversity of these guys is astounding. Most tend to specialize on a specific species or a genus of hosts. Uh, there's one study where we found this species of parasitoid wasp, and we thought it was a generalist targeting a wide variety of host insects. Now, it turns out it was 16 different species. They just all kind of looked alike. Okay. So this feeds in to getting a bit more obscure. It's long been theorized that beetles are the most diverse group of animals alive today. Right. That's usually what you learn. Typically, yeah. It's possible that the parasitoid wasps actually get that. Really? It's hard to tell because a lot of these are tiny. Like, they are very small. So that makes it much harder to study. Like, the one I said was 16 species. They all look, they're all tiny black flying things. I mean, you're not going to think twice about it. Who wants to go through the time to look at a genetic analysis, you know? Geneticists, probably. Well, yeah, them, but not your average schmuck. So... Fairy flies are a family of parasitoid wasps that are so tiny, there are some species that are smaller than individual cells. What? You can look on a microscope 
and you'll see this wasp walk by and you'll think, oh, it must just be on my lens. And you're like, wait, no, that's under the microscope. It will be smaller than an individual cell. And they're multicellular organisms. These are multicellular organisms. So there's some very large cells that outclass them. They're so small, their wings are shaped like oars because air doesn't affect them the same way. They, it acts more like a liquid. That's how small they are. So they're essentially swimming through the air. I think they're rowing through the air, Aaron. Yeah, rowing through the air. Come on. Didn't you, didn't you used to row on the crew team? I did. I, To my knowledge, I'm the only one in our college that's been launched out of the boat. In a literal sense. So these oars, they are massive, right? They call it crabbing when your oar kind of gets sucked down and like goes to the bottom as if you're catching a crab with it. Right, well, right. There's something called ejector crabs where if you're going fast enough, your oar gets sucked down, it kind of goes streamlined with the boat, so the handle slams into you. I think one person cracked a rib from one of these, like that was pretty bad, but for me, it hit me so hard, it pulled me out of my restraints and launched me into the water. I'm still not convinced that wasn't a uh, a well-disguised mutiny. From who? Why would people do a mutiny? I was like the worst one on the team. If you're gonna, hey, no if you're gonna ask team. and answer your own questions, what do you need me for, Aaron? <laughs> Cut out the weakest link. Hell, I was only there because they couldn't fill the boat. <laughs> you just needed a body. No, they couldn't. And by the end of the year, they did not have enough people to fill an eight-person boat. Yeah, man, they really were just shedding people right and left that year. Oh, absolutely. Not to mention, I'm standing at a crisp 5'9". That ain't too bad. Rowers, you want to be tall. And almost every other rower was tall except me and my partner. We were the bow pair. So when they carried the boat, we couldn't reach it. If they were going downhill, we'd stick our arms all the way up and like we couldn't touch the boat. And they'd always complain that it's extra heavy. But like there is nothing we can do about that. Dude, I remember pretty much anyone from crew I talked to throughout college kept trying to get me to join. They're like, they're like looking up at me like, dude, you got to join crew. And I'm like, no, that sounds miserable. I don't like getting up at five in the morning. How tall are you again, Rustin? Uh, I'm 6'5". Yeah, 6'5". Casual 6'5". I'm a tall string bean of a person. You'll never see a photo where me and Rustin are next to each other. At least not one that I'll post, because without context, it just looks like, oh, there's Aaron the Goblin. <laughs> Dude, I remember, I remember back when you were like, when you were on Tinder, you kept complaining to me about not being able to find pictures to post because you're like, all my pictures are with you and I look so fucking short. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was every formal event, you know, we both dress up, we get a photo together. I'm like, well, I'm not using that one. Too bad. It was a nice photo. Anyways, so. Parasitoid wasp. They seem all big and bad. Understandable, they're the inspiration for the movie Alien. But they play very important roles in the ecosystem. For starters, their role in predation on pest insects. While they focus on a variety of arthropod hosts, many target pests that can destroy crops or infest homes. And a lot of them are actually used as an organic pest control. Interesting. There are some that will target like aphids or other plant crops. There's some that actually target cockroaches in the home. And if you see one, they're not going to bother you. Most of these guys, they're too small to really affect you. And because they're specific, you can use them and be 
you're a bit more confident you'll have good results. Australia, they released the cane toads to uh, help control beetles that were eating their crops. That didn't work. That didn't work at all. No, that was a major ecological fuck-up. Yeah, they just ate whatever they wanted to. Not to mention the beetles really fast and climbed the plants, and the toads, they didn't want to do that at all. (laughs) And now Australia is still dealing with that. But these guys are much more specific in their targets, so you can be a bit more confident. It's also worth mentioning only the larvae are parasitoids. The adults don't actually eat the hosts. Huh. So after they lay their eggs, they're done with the host. They don't want anything to do with it. Most of them actually feed on nectar, and they can be very important pollinators. Really? Yeah. In fact, figs are actually pollinated exclusively by parasitoid wasps. Nice. Nice, yeah. That feeds right into into my topic as well, but we'll get to that later. And one final point. I've said while some of the adults pack an incredibly painful but non-lethal sting, cicada killers, I think they're pretty bad, tarantula hawks, I think they're not the worst, but they're one of them. Most of these, the vast majority of these are tiny, and they're too tiny to actually hurt you. Hell, even in the larger species, sometimes the males don't sting at all. It, your odds of being attacked unprovoked are pretty low. You know, if you sit right on top of one, I'm sorry, you asked for that. I'm not going to give you an EpiPen. I'm not even going to give you an ice pack. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> you get some gauze. That's it. Go home. I can offer you a crisp high five. <laughs> Probably won't want it. Your hand hurts. <laughs> well, I mean, if you sat on a parasitoid wasp, your sting probably isn't going to be on your hand. Yeah, you know what? You got Probably going to get stung on the lower back, maybe on the ass. So, unless you're a caterpillar munching on some tobacco plants, you probably got nothing to worry about from these guys. And now that we've covered the background, I want to take you, like, where it gets really obscure. This is the fun part. Oh, it hasn't gotten obscure yet? It's gotten kind of obscure, but this is the really obscure bit. This is all from a paper I read online. Starts out with a P-aphid. I'm an aphid. I'm the tiny plant-sucking bane of gardeners everywhere. A little dude no bigger than a couple millimeters just vibing, doing his thing. I'm sucking sap and spreading plant pathogens. And oh, there we go. Here comes a parasitoid wasp from the aphid DNA family. The aphid DNA wasp targets aphid. After locating a host, they fly over, do the classic parasitoid wasp one two and insert their larvae into the aphid after pupation the adults emerge from the aphid and continue the cycle it, i've already covered this this isn't super extraordinary by any means right yeah yeah this, this seems pretty standard based on what you've been talking about this is where the fun begins because the larva of these wasps can also be parasitized by whom these are secondary parasitoids also called hyperparasitoids. So these parasitoid wasps target parasitoid wasps that have already parasitized a host. Dude, life must suck for that aphid. (laughs) It really does. There's a war zone going on inside them. And there's actually a couple species just from this one aphid that will target the first wasp to get there. These guys are not super well studied, and they're from different families too. So imagine you got stabbed in an alleyway and some guy stole your wallet. And then imagine that guy gets stabbed by a smaller robber and then he takes your wallet from the first robber. That's what's going on here. Dude, that kind of thing almost happened to like a friend of a friend. I'm telling a lot of stories about the aquarium, about people who worked at the aquarium today. I don't know why. A lot of but... parasites there. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch out. But yeah, she was 
she's working at the aquarium. She parked her car. And she's walking over like to where the aquarium is in the inner harbor, and uh, she and she got mugged. Somebody like you know held a gun up to her and said, "Hey, give me your wallet." And she's like, oh, "Okay, you know, here it is." And then kind of carried on her merry way. And was like, "Wow, that that sucked. I got mugged on my way to work." And then, at, like literally, like a block or two later, somebody else comes up to her and tries to mug her. And she, like, like, I think, like, with, like, a knife. And he's like, hey, give me your wallet. And she's like, dude, I don't have it. Somebody else just got it. Are you kidding me? You're five minutes too late. Right. Did he let her go afterwards? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have a wallet. It already got taken. Maybe he leaves her with a pat on the back, like, sorry about that. She probably just, like, told him to go track down the first guy. He's got the wallet you're looking for. He's got his own wallet. That's two wallets right there. Right, yeah. Think about how many more wallets you could have. So the second pairs of toys are not all that rare. There's some better studied larger species. Have you heard of velvet ants or cattle killers? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think so. So some of these are actually secondary parasitoids, and they'll actually target other ground nest wasp species, like the cicada killer, actually. And in Australia, they have something called cuckoo wasps, which will go after some of the mud-building ones, like the spider wasps I talked about, to build a little clay thing and put all the dead spiders in it. Sorry, sorry, they're called what? Cuckoo wasps, like the cuckoo bird. Do they love cocoa puffs? I don't know if they're cuckoo for cocoa puffs. They're cuckoo for parasitoid wasp larvae they love that are the parasitoid wasp larvae shaped like cocoa puffs perchance they might be and there's another step to this tertiary parasitoids so you have parasitoids on top of parasitoids on top of parasitoids yes in this study they found three species what does it ever end like what parasitoid is at the top of this chain that's the thing. Depending on the order, you can have four. What the hell? Four, you can have a fourth level. A quaternary parasitoid. That's insane. So the only wasps mentioned in this study were from the family Pteromalidae. And it's worth mentioning that not when you get later in the stages, they're not all as specific. So depending on who gets there first, it could be second to fourth level. So, like, you arrive, and you're like, ah, shit, this one's taken. You're like, I'm making something out of it. So you parasitize that larva. So imagine this. You got mugged again. You got stabbed, and your wallet was stolen. So this other robber stabs the first robber and steals the wallet again. And then another robber comes and steals the wallet from the second guy. And then one final robber comes and steals it from the third guy. So the final robber, who's also tiny at this point, he's, you know, skipping off, you know, a little two-foot leprechaun, making away with all the goodies. And then the rest of you, you're all just lying down, bleeding out, and giving each other mean looks. Nobody wins except the last guy. Wow, so life sucks for everybody except for the last guy. No, it really sucks for the aphid, because I'm pretty sure this is all going on (laughs) inside the aphid. At some point, the aphid dies. I hope it's early on, so it doesn't have to deal with all this. Or maybe, or maybe not, because you know, they they do just absolutely destroy gardens. So you want the aphids to suffer. That might be a bit too much. I don't know for the pain they've caused you. I'd rather just be a quick one and done.
<laughs> I guess so, but I don't know. And some that's gar- all some I gardeners are sadists, man. So, yeah, in total, I think there's about 15 species of parasitoid wasps found on just one species of aphid. Like I said, there's probably a lot more of these wasps than we know. And you can get up to four levels of parasitoids, depending on who gets there first. The paper is called The Complex of Parasitoids Controlling Some Colonies of Aphids. And before I end, I will leave you with one last quote. Great fleas have little fleas upon their backs to bite them, and little fees have lesser fleas, and so ad infinitum. Very poignant. Yeah, I found it off Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, Wikipedia can be very wise sometimes. And that's it. That's my piece. Nice, nice. That was really cool. Like I said, it got more obscure in the end. It whole iceberg to it. Yeah. Just icebergs on top of icebergs on top of icebergs. Exactly. They just keep burging on top of each other. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So it's my turn now? You're up. All right. So earlier in your piece, it's really convenient that you brought up fig trees because... So this week I'm kind of focusing on two different kinds of symbiosis, but they both involve the same organism. So it's really, really interesting to talk about both of them, and it makes sense. But I'm talking about an organism that I actually kind of grew to like. Initially, when I'd see it in like nature documentaries and stuff, I kind of was like, oh, I hate that. But once I started doing research and learning more about it, I actually really like this organism. Um, it is the strangler fig tree. Do you know anything about these guys? Nope. I know what a fig is. All right. So just a bit of background background on fig trees themselves. They're very widespread. There are lots and lots of different species of fig tree. Most of them will live as relatively normal trees and produce fruits that are commonly eaten throughout the world by various different kinds of animals, including humans. Humans have been cultivating fig trees for millennia. But there are there's one particular group of fig tree that employs a very different approach, and these are known as the strangler figs. They're the serial killers of the trees. They are could be considered parasites or maybe parasitoids, depending on how you want to look at it, but... They have a really interesting life cycle. So strangler figs, like pretty much like a lot of different plants, begin their life as a seed, except that their seed is usually pooped out of an animal and stuck onto a branch of a tree. All the best seeds are. Exactly. It's like the people that pay top dollars for the coffee beans that pass through a... I don't even know what it passed through. Is it a weasel? Mongoose? I've never heard of this, Aaron. As far as I know, you're just making shit up. No, no, no. They like they feed the coffee beans, and they pass through whole, and then they harvest them, and it enhances the flavor. I think a civet, that's what it is, right? Maybe it's an otter. I don't know. What? It was a, it was a mammal, and it was kind of long. That's all you get from me. I don't know anymore. Oh my god! I'm just imagining the commercial for those coffee beans that just pick that just shows a, a bean traversing the intestines of a civet, just coming out its ass. They shouldn't do that. The best commercial is just some guy going, "Eh, it tastes good," and then they just cut <laughs> it right there. You should do that. For you don't any, want to know anymore. Any food, good. any food or drink at all. Just the same guy, just like sitting at a table eating and just going, "Eh, it tastes good." <laughs> I like it. Uh, anyway, but yeah, there's so the, and there's your tie into the last episode about poop. Just keeps coming back. 
Exactly. It all it all circles back. But so the seed will the seeds of these fig trees are sticky, so they're designed to like stick to the trunk or the branch or wherever they land, and then it'll germinate. And at which point the fig will send shoots downward along the trunk of the tree, where they'll eventually reach the ground and start becoming roots. Once this happens and the roots reach the ground, the fig will also send other branches upward to compete for to start catching sunlight and competing for sunlight with the host what is now the host tree. Over time, the fig's roots will widen and start constricting the trunk of the host tree, while the fig's upper branches will start blocking out the sunlight for the tree. The fig's roots will block the host's roots, which deprives the host of water and nutrients, and the loss of sunlight and the loss of nutrients and water will eventually combine to kill the tree over time. Are these figs kind of vine-like? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're basically vines that will grow and constrict the tree and block off its natural flow of water and sugar in its vascular systems, which eventually kills the tree. And then that just leaves like the kind of the, the lattice work of the strangler fig just sitting in the tree's place, which is pretty cool. Not not for the tree, of course, but for the strangler fig, it's it's a really cool way to kind of get ahead, especially in a, in like tropical areas where these figs typically live. There's not a lot of real estate, so they got to make do. Right, right. Competition for sunlight is a huge deal. So if you can start your life as an epiphyte in the canopy, it gives you a really distinct advantage. But at this point in the story, the strangler figs just kind of sound like parasites, right? Like they're they're growing on this tree, they kill the tree and just kind of take over its place. They don't sound like anything that I would really particularly like or any organism that I would enjoy reading about. Do we get a fig out of it in the end? Yes, I'm getting to that. Okay. But here's why I like them. So first off, you mentioned that, as you mentioned... Rustin hates trees. That's yeah. the number one reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just cut them all down as far as I'm concerned. I saw Rustin go like one-on-one with the Lorax, and he kicked his ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a little orange guy. He smacked the mustache right off his face. Anyway... But yeah, so the strangler figs actually provide a great source of food for a variety of different animals, including bats, birds, and primates. And once the host tree dies, like the inner cavity where the host tree used to be provides a really valuable habitat for a lot of these different kinds of organisms. So it's a roosting area for birds and bats that they wouldn't otherwise have without the strangler figs. The strangler figs are also really, really important because they produce fruit in multiple seasons. So a lot of other fruiting or flowering plants will only flower fruit at one time of the year. And so if you're an organism who needs food and one of those organisms isn't flowering or fruiting, then you're kind of shit out of luck. But with figs, that's not that's not the case. They have a very reliable source of food in a lot of different times of the year because the figs will kind of flower continuously or at, at least at multiple times of the year, depending on the species. Um, so that makes them incredibly important for these uh, organisms that live in these rainforests. Yeah, you get food and shelter out of it. Right, right, exactly. So they're really important. They occupy a really important ecological niche to the point where a lot of a lot of scientists consider figs and strangler figs included uh, keystone species because of the incredible habitat and food resources that they provide to other organisms. Additionally, it's not all bad for the host tree as well because the strangler fig roots will actually provide additional support for the tree. So they've done a lot of research on strangler fig 
parasitism in coastal areas that get impacted by hurricanes a lot. And they've actually found that trees that are parasitized by strangler figs are far less likely to be knocked over or suffer damage during these storms. So they provide more support for it. They're keeping it upright. Exactly. Which, going back to your earlier point, makes a lot of sense about, at least about parasites, right? They don't want to, like, you know, it doesn't make a lot of, they want to support the host as well to kind of preserve their own well-being as part of the parasitism. So if you're a strangler fig and you're relying on this tree to support you, you don't want the tree falling over. So it makes sense that the strangler fig will also help support the tree and help it weather these storms. Can the strangler fig grow on its own at all? So there are some fig trees that will like kind of oscillate between different kinds of, of forms. Some are more strangler-like, some are more tree-like. So it really depends on the species. But typically your strangler figs are just strangler figs. But this brings us to, and, that, and that, that's pretty much, that pretty much wraps up the first part of this about strangler figs specifically. The second part is about another kind of wasp. Oh, you did a wasp also. I did a wasp also because strangler figs are figs and all figs have weird, amazing symbiotic relationships with a very, with a specific species of wasp. So this should just be the wasp episode. It really should be. It. I don't know how it happened. We both picked wasps. We didn't plan this. There, we never know what the other person is thinking. No, yeah, this was totally unplanned. I, <laughs> you started talking about wasps and I'm like, well, it's just a wasp episode now. <laughs> But yeah, so there are fig wasps, and figs are really unique in how they reproduce, because they figs are hermaphrodites. So figs possess both male and female flowers, and all these flowers are housed within this one structure called the synconium, which will eventually develop into what we know as a fig, after the wasps have done their work, and done all the pollination and all that happy stuff, which I'll get into in a minute here. So figs don't actually have external flowers that you can see because they're all kind of housed in this little ball that will eventually develop into the fig. So the first part, you know, initially you just have like this little ball hanging on the tree and there are flowers inside of it and no one really knows what to do with it except for this, except for this one kind of wasp. And this one kind of wasp is specific to this one species of fig tree. So every wasp species specializes in a specific fig tree. A lot of wasps. So a lot of wasps. Probably the most diverse group of animals. Yeah. A lot of wasps, a lot of fig trees. It's pretty cool. So the first thing that happens is um, the po- there's this female who is laden with all this pollen from another from another synconium, um, enters this one synconium through, you know, or the unripe fig, through an opening at the base of the, of the uh, synconium, Right. And then at this point, the female wasp starts laying eggs within the synconium and on all the flowers, right? And so in this process, the insect will pollinate the other female flowers in the synconium. So the female wasp that entered the synconium had pollen from male, from male flowers of another synconium on another tree. And having entered this other synconium is now pollinating the female flowers that are in this particular fig. Are you following so far? Yeah, I'm following you. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so at this point, the female starts laying eggs all around the synconium, which will hatch into both male and female wasps. The males will hatch first, 
and they'll travel throughout the synconium in search of female wasps and they'll fer fertilize the female wasps while the females are still in their little egg sacs that the, the initial female laid when she entered the synconium. That's a little messed up. What? We're the Chris Hansen wasps when you need them. <laughs> At this point, the first female wasp who laid all these eggs has died. And the male flowers now in the synconium, they've matured by the time the female wasp, the new female wasps have started to hatch. So that way, when the female wasps are moving around the synconium, they're, um, you know, they're collecting pollen from all these male flowers. Okay. At this point, you know, the female, wa the new female wasps are being fertilized by male wasps and they're ready to leave. So the male wasps will actually dig escape tunnels for their mates and then die. So the male wasps in this species never leave the figs, like the, the synconium. And then after the, after the female has collected pollen from all the mature male flowers within the synconium, the each mated female wasp will leave through a tunnel that has been dug by a male wasp. And then the female wasp will leave and find another synconium and the process starts all over again. So, yeah, the dudes never leave the little apparatus. What'd you call it again? Zinconium? The synconium, yeah. Synconium. Yeah. And so what's cool about like this little opening in these unfertilized synconiums is that it's so tiny that the fem the wasps actually have to like to fit through them. The wasps will lose their wings, in some cases even their antennae when they're doing this. So basically they're going into the synconium and they're never coming out again. Once they once the female wasps go in, the only thing that comes out are new female wasps. Wasps are bizarre. They really are. They got weird and lives. After this process has kind of run its course in this one synconium, it is it has developed into what we know as a fig, a fig fruit. What happens to the dude that's still left inside? They die. They're done. No, but like is he in the fig still? Yeah. So we eat them. Mm-hmm. Yummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um but this is really cool because the figs cannot live without the wasps, and the wasps cannot live without the figs. So over the course of human history, whenever we've tried to transplant figs, we haven't been able to reproduce them. They're just sterile without the wasps. So whenever people try to introduce a new population of fig trees, they also have to introduce these wasps so that the figs can reproduce and produce more seeds. And so this also ties in really well with your, with your part, because in addition to there being wasps that specialize in these figs, there are also parasitoid wasps that will use these long like stingers on their abdomens to puncture through the synconium and infect these fig wasps while they're still inside it just keeps looping back it keeps looping back and just keeps looping back to parasitoid wasps they are really everywhere and it's really cool so initially when i was researching this topic i was like okay i'll just focus on the strangler figs but then i also like went down this whole other rabbit hole with the fig wasps and it wound up being a whole thing it's really cool I still think the strangler figs are cool because they're, would you say it's like mutualism in the end? No, I, I think it's still parasitism because... They just help the host a little bit. They, they provide interest. some help. Like, 
a lot of parasites will do that kind of like you're talking about like they want to make sure that the host doesn't die but only so that they're still able to exploit it you know what i mean yeah and i believe parasitism can evolve to become mutualism so with time they can both be helping each other out yeah yeah i know that's how a lot of mutualisms evolve and this same pollination system that all fig trees go through is also used by the strangler figs. So within a strangler fig tree, you have a parasite that is involved in a really cool mutualistic relationship with another kind of wasp. They can also have the parasite. That is also parasitized by another kind of wasp. So you just have symbiosis on top of symbiosis on top of symbiosis. So wasps and figs, they're what's making the world go round. They really are. They really are, man. Everyone loves a good fig, especially these wasps. And now every fig I ever have, I'm going to look for the little wasp inside. So I don't know if like the super processed figs that you find will have these wasps. Like I know that when I was a kid, my grandparents had a fig tree in their backyard. But I don't but ha- having read up on this, I don't know if that fig tree was sterile because I don't know if there were wasps in the area that actually like helped fertilize the trees. So what's the alternative? I guess if you really want figs, you could get like a really tiny wire, you know, take it to each little fig, just going to go up in there to pollinate each one. That sounds, that sounds pretty miserable, man. <laughs> That's gonna, that'd take like 10 hours to cover a single tree. Yeah. And then imagine the next morning they've been wiped out by a groundhog. <laughs> Just imagining that job description. Hi, we're looking for a fig diddler. A fig. <laughs> well, the wasps all died out. We got to make do. Fig, fig diddler technician. They always have technician. <laughs> Of course, you got to make it sound more professional. You know, I was looking at jobs the other day, and I saw one that was Potato Scout. What? It said, like, oh, you're going to be doing agricultural research. You're going to be helping us, like, you know, identify different growing techniques for potatoes. Long story short, you walk around the potato field and you count them. What? For $12 an hour. You walk around the field and count potatoes. And you need to have a bachelor's to do it. Why? You don't need a bachelor's for that. No, you don't. Unless they can only count on their fingers, they're going to be fine. Even then, you gotta, like, at least pass algebra to graduate from high school, right? Yeah, it depends. I know some places they just want you to go through. I guess, but... In Montgomery County, you can't fail. Like, you, you have to know, like, addition, right? Like, you should be able to count on more than just your fingers if you have, like, a, dipl- a high school diploma or a GED or something like that. All right, well, maybe they got to take off the shoes and start working on the toes when things get real intense. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But, yeah, that's the end of my piece. Yeah, really cool. I like the strangler fig part, and I like how we both talked about wasp, and this is the wasp episode now accidentally for all of our listeners in brussels apparently that is our most popular city individual city still most people in the u.s but 
individual city Brussels over in Belgium. They three people love us there. <laughs> or, or three people just accidentally clicked on us while, look, while looking for another podcast. It's the wrong podcast. <laughs> we found the wrong one. Gotta go back. We're looking for those two other American mid-twenties people who have a podcast about nature. We, we picked the wrong ones. What if people in Brussels just hate wasps and we just lose our most popular city instantly? No! <laughs> Brussels! We love you. Please come back. Anyway, we swear this really wasn't planned. I'm surprised. I'm glad I didn't. I didn't read about the fig wasps because I didn't. I know some wasps parasitize plants, some pollinate them, but I thought it was cooler what they did to other bugs. So that's what I researched. Yeah, yeah. I like I said, I was pretty lost, and then like I saw strangler figs, and I remembered seeing them on nature documentaries, and I thought they'd be a really cool topic. And then the whole thing with wasps kind of followed after that. So. Well, speaking of topic, what do you want to do for the next one? We had talked about doing islands, right? We do islands, and another one I thought about was extinction. Ooh, okay. But islands and extinctions go hand in hand, and generally, if you're living on an island, you went extinct. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Some unknowing European brought a rat over, or you just weren't fast enough and you all got eaten. Yeah, or someone like introduced snakes. Yeah. Like that, that happened on Guam, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Like I said, islands and extinctions, they go hand in hand. All right, so let, let's just do extinctions, and then one of us will probably wind up covering island as a result. It's going to happen, yeah. That's what I figured. Uh, okay, so yeah. next episode will be extinction. All right, nice. Sounds good. Now, I will say, if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to give us a review and hit the follow button on your podcast app of choice. Yeah, I just realized now we never mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it sounded so like out of place. I'm like, oh, shit, almost forgot. <laughs> should, should probably tell people to like say they like the show. But one more thing. If you hate the topics we bring up, maybe they're horrible. They're dog shit. You don't like them. If you have a suggestion for a podcast episode, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Podcast. Or send an email to theprimordialsouppot at gmail.com. It's all one word, all lowercase. Yep. And we may or may not take your suggestions, but probably. If it sucks, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll take your suggestions as long as they don't suck. Yeah, as long as they don't suck. Don't send us bad suggestions. It's as easy as that. Well, still send us bad suggestions. We just have a right to ignore them. <laughs> and we will. Trust me. <laughs> I will definitely exercise that right. Make sure you tune in next time for our episode about extinctions. I think All I already right. had a topic in mind. Oh, I got something in mind. It'll be great. All right. See you all right. next time. See you.